This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. So we're jumping over to Ephesians today. If you uh, didn't hear, they're starting a new mini-series on the church. And I'm going to read to you from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate uh, you reading that scripture. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to show this to you. We picked this up uh, recently at a, a garage sale. And it's just this little bottle, nothing really too crazy about it. Here, check that out, Matt. Little, little bottle we picked up. <laughs> you just saved your daughter's life. Uh, so what, what, what's cool about that, though, is, is uh, we did a little research into it, and it turns out that little simple bottle is worth like $5,000. Here, we'll toss it back. <laughs> okay, truth be told, uh, Madeline got it at um, Hobby Lobby for you know, five bucks. So, but uh, once you realize the value of something, doesn't that change how you handle that? If it's a simple bottle, we can toss it around. If it's worth thousands of dollars, you want to handle it all that much more carefully. I'll put it this way. You'll treat something one way until you discover its value, its true value. Then you will treat it another way entirely. But we're talking about the church. We decided uh, uh, really months and months ago that we would in August, and really now we started calling it a mini-series. It turned into a not-so-mini-series. So we're gonna be covering this for several weeks, talking about the church and the importance of the church and all of that. Because let's be honest, 
across our country today, do, does, does the, the country as a whole, do Christians as a whole, put the same value on the church that God does? And when you consider and you do the statistics, it's pretty evident that that's probably a no. Do you know, this is a, a Barna stat that's been put out, that 33% of any given church's attendance will change hands uh, every year. In other words, one-third of this group gathered here today will have moved on, and another third will have come to replace it within a year. And we've been at this for almost 12 years, and I would say that really kind of stacks up to be true here in, in our church. Not quite that high, but pretty much uh, that way. And I think one of the reasons why, because we're in the city of churches, and there's just lots and lots to choose from. And we have this consumer mentality we put on. Because you know, like if, if Kroger doesn't have what I want, I'll just go over to Meyer. And if they don't have what I want, then I'll swing over to Target. Maybe not Target. I'll swing over to Walmart and, and get what I want. You get the idea. It's like we have this mentality of I'll just kind of shop around. And is the church a dispenser of consumer goods or is the church a family? You see, when my family upsets me, I can't just go next door and say, hey, I'm the daddy now. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We're a family, and we have to give the church the value that God does. So how does God see the church? Great question. This is what we're gonna investigate today, looking at uh, Ephesians chapter three. But if you haven't picked it up yet, here's the big idea that I want you to, to own this morning, and that is I will give the church the value that God does. I will give the church the value that God does. Isn't that the question to ask? We're Redemption Bible Church. We love the word of God. So what does the word of God say about the value of a local church? Well, three reasons why the church should have value. Let's unpack these one at a time. The church should have value because, the church is valuable because, first of all, it proclaims God's gospel. It proclaims God's gospel. And I'm gonna unpack this this way. Let's, first of all, just kind of look at the message that Paul is trying to communicate here in the book of Ephesians. Love it, love it, love it. But he first of all begins talking about the accessibility of the gospel, the accessibility of the gospel. And that's found as you kind of look back at the beginning of the text. So let's go all the way back to one. I'm gonna summarize this for you as we go along, but context is king. Very important to get the context of a text. And so Ephesians chapter one is all about the glorious gospel. Ephesians chapter two, more about the glorious gospel. Verse number four of two, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved talking about the glorious gospel. And then in, in chapter three, Paul reveals that he's a prisoner, but he's been made known this incredible, he calls it a mystery. And by mystery, he means a truth that was hidden in the Old Testament, but now revealed in the New Testament. And what is this victory? Well, number six um, defines the, victory, the mystery for us. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. The whole incredible truth of the mystery is this. Everyone can be saved. The gospel is for everyone. That's an awesome, awesome truth. 
But he says this in verse number seven of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me. So I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles in searchable riches of Christ. So the accessibility of the gospel, Gentiles can now be saved. That was a huge deal. Because up to this point, if you wanted to become a part of the children of God, you had to convert to Judaism to do it. But that's no longer the case. Gentiles can be saved. And uh, aren't you happy about that this morning, Gentile? (laughs) Anyone can be saved. The gospel is for everyone. Say that with me. The gospel is for everyone. But now listen, there's more to this. Not only the accessibility of the gospel, but Paul talks about the value of the gospel. Take a look at verse number eight again. This is awesome. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, here it is, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love this. Paul's like, I went on a search. I searched through to find this mystery, and and I found something, and what I found was actually unsearchable. The depths of the riches of Christ. Jesus is the value. Jesus is the beauty. Jesus is the incredible riches. Do you feel that way about Jesus? I pray, I mean, I literally pray this all the time. That if you get nothing else from your time at Redemption Bible Church, you will get a passionate love for Jesus and to see how incredibly valuable Christ is. He is the pearl of great price that is worth us selling everything to obtain. He is the treasure hidden in a field that will give it all to gain. He is the vine, the one in whom we can abide and find sustenance and health and life. Jesus is everything. And the message of the gospel is ours. The gospel is for everyone and brings them to a Jesus who is their everything. That's what we have. And that incredible story, that incredible truth has been entrusted. And it's been entrusted to us. Look at what the text says. So you have this in verse number eight. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now watch the grammar. He was given this grace so that he would preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable witness of Christ and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages who was cre- uh, in God who created all things. Here it is now. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known so that through the church the wisdom of God might be made known you see we have the accessibility of the gospel the value of the gospel church consider the mouthpiece of the gospel and that's us that's the church we've been given this beautiful truth and Paul look at his grammar he's saying I got saved the least of the saints, so that I would preach to the Gentiles, so that through the church, the gospel could be made known. Where is this glorious, wonderful, valuable gospel made known? Who is to proclaim it? Come on, say it with me. It's the church. It's the church, which makes the church incredibly important. The most important message of all 
was given to the church to make known to the universe, both physical and spiritual, by the way. It's interesting how he says principalities and powers. That's angels that God has given us to make the gospel known even to the angels. So therefore, we have boldness. This was God's plan hidden for the ages. We have the message of hope. And when we have the message of hope, we become incredibly valuable. I thought a lot about how to illustrate this. Several came to mind. I thought about the movie Saving Private Ryan. Have you seen this movie? It's pretty cool, and, and World War II is very masculine, right? So, um, especially when you have little miniatures and you plan a war table, World War II stuff, you, it's, you're no more manly than that. And your wife brings you your tea, and it's just so, it's awesome. It's awesome. But no, really, so, so like, like what happened, if you don't know the story, is that James Ryan, his uh, three brothers were killed on the battlefield. And just after the storming of uh, the beaches of Normandy, uh, a ranger group, ranger squad, was uh, given the mission uh, to go and to take uh, James Ryan and to bring him safely home. You see, he was the hope for his family. He was the last of that line. And so the whole, this whole group of men sacrificed their lives. They put their lives on the danger. They went through all kinds of trauma and difficulty, all, and many of them died, all to save one guy. Why? Because he was the message of hope for them. Now, you see, I thought of other illustrations that may have worked better, like uh, Frodo in the ring, right? The message of hope, Frodo became very important, or R2-D2 with the message for Obi-Wan, he became very important, but I went with Saving Private Ryan. It just seemed a little more manly, all right? But you get the idea. When you have the message of hope, when they have the message, you become very, very, very valuable. And we, we have that message. The church is the ones who have been entrusted with that message. And you specifically have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So look around you this morning people next to you. Anyone can have access to Jesus who in reality is their everything. And we're the ones who bring that message to them. So the first reason why the church has incredible value is because it proclaims God's gospel. But there's more. Let's keep looking at this. Here it is, uh, number two, another reason why the church is valuable. Church is valuable because it proclaims God's gospel, but also because it strengthens God's people. It, it strengthens God's people. And I want us to look at verse number 14. I uh, love this text. It's so beautiful. Look at this text with me, verse number 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So again, what reason? Because the church is the mouthpiece of the gospel. That's, that's the whole thing that Paul's saying. I was saved to get the message to the church so the church can get the message to the universe. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What an awesome text. 
I wanna kind of break it apart this way. First of all, let's consider who's being spoken about in this text. Who exactly is Paul talking about? Because when you read this, doesn't it feel like very personal? He's, he's talking about your being strengthened in your inner being. That, that, that's very personal. It just feels like me in my library along with my Bible getting strengthened in my inner being. And he talks about the heart, your, your heart dwelling on Christ and, and the Christ may dwell in your hearts. And again, that just feels like getting me sitting alone doing that work. And I think that's especially true when you kind of grow up in the Western culture that we've grown up in. And we just kind of picture ourselves as, as you know, kind of the Lone Ranger type, you know? In, in Lone Ranger, what are some key characteristics? I put this on Jet, Chat GPT. It's a fun little tool to use. But I said, you know, what are some of the key characteristics of, of the Lone Ranger? Independence, self-reliance, heroic individualism, reluctance to seek help. That's kind of like what we imagine ourselves to be. And I want to be that champion. I want to be that, that person who can save himself and pick himself up by the bootstraps. And we have this value of this independence. But actually, when you look at the text, it's not what's being talked about. It's not a severe individualistic mentality. It's not a lone ranger mentality at all. In fact, look at some of the key words here. He mentions family in verse number 14, or verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now pause for a second. Some people have grabbed this verse and they have said, oh, here it's talking about that everybody on the planet is part of the family of God. And you've probably heard that before. Like we're all the children of God. And I just wanna correct that a little bit to say that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach everybody born is born a child of God. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter eight, where he said, you are of your father, the, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So we're not born, listen now, you're not born into this world a child of God. A creation of God, yes, a child of God, no. But early on in the book of John, before he said this, this promise was given. This is John chapter one now. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God who were not born, who were born not of blood or by the will of the flesh or by the will of man, but of God. Do you see what that means? How do we become a child of God? We become a child of God when we receive him, when we believe in his name. There is a transaction that happens and now all of a sudden you become a child of God and you become a part of the family of God. And, and Paul mentions, this, we're talking about the family that's in heaven and the family that's here on earth. This is everybody who's believed in Jesus. We're a part of a church, what is it? Family. I... Uh, Love to death some folks that have had a chance to pastor. My very first senior pastorate, I was 28 when I uh, took the pulpit as the pastor there, and the next person closest to my age was 65. And uh, it was a small little church, and, and it was just the two boys, and Courtney and I, and they were just toddlers at the time. And, uh, but we loved those people dearly. Some of them became just dear, dear, dear to us. In fact, some people were, you know, had told us, oh, watch out for that guy. 
And it turns out that guy became a huge blessing to our family. And uh, we, we buried many of them, but they were, they were my family, and now they're in heaven. We have people even in our church that have passed on that I love dearly that I'm gonna see in heaven again one day. They're part of the family, and I love this. So, so what family is it talking about? John MacArthur says it really clearly. Every family in heaven and on earth refers to the saints of every age, those now in heaven, those still remaining on earth. What's also very interesting about this text is, yes, this family is mentioned, but then I want you to look at all the yous. All, every time you is mentioned here, that according to the riches, now verse number 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being. You know what that is? That's not a, the singular you. That's a plural you. So we could read this way, you together. Let me try this again, and I'm gonna keep doing that throughout the text. That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you together to be strengthened with power in the spirit in your together inner being so that Christ may dwell in your together hearts through faith, that you together being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all, now it makes sense, with all the saints. What is the breath? You get the idea? This is something we do, church, together, together. We do this together. This is the picture that the Bible lines out about what a church is. It is a family. It is a family. So what exactly? So we got the who. This is, we need strength. So who, this is to get us together. And, and what exactly is he praying for? Well, verse 16 really says it very clearly that you, according to the riches of his glory, may he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Let's see it all together. Paul was saved, the least of the saints, saved. Why? To preach the gospel to the Gentiles so that through the church we can make the gospel known to the world. That's a lot of work. Can I get a witness? That just makes me tired thinking about it. So we need strength. Life takes strength, doesn't it? Just living life takes strength. I mean, think about the things that zap your energy. What zaps your energy? Well, hard labor zaps your energy, both physical or mental hard labor. It's, it's funny when uh, preachers are learning to preach, and we've had several of them that are kind of stepping in, and we're discipling at all levels here, so we're discipling preachers too. And one of the things they'll discover is that when you're done preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning, you get pretty exhausted. That mental labor of communicating the word of God can really take it out of you. But you know, if you've ever done hard labor, physical or mental, that zaps your energy. How about this? Anxiety and a lack of sleep zaps your energy. Do you know that we are the most anxious culture ever right now? Anxiety is huge. And this generation is the most anxious generation of all. I was listening to a podcast this week and they're talking about my generation where, you know, man, we were, would come home, our parents wouldn't be home, we'd make ourselves a snack, we'd take care of ourselves, we'd get on our bikes, we'd ride everywhere, very unprotected, you know, we'd get on a bus at 12 years old and drive downtown on the bus, you know, or very unprotected. And this generation is very, very protected and yet it's more anxious than any. And then we have anxiety, you don't sleep well and all of that can zap your energy. How about life drama, office drama, family drama? All that can zap your energy real quick. 
And when you're loving people and carrying their loads, it just zaps your energy. And looking at that list, all in favor of a nap? Amen. We need strength for everyday life, but especially when you're given this task of preaching the gospel to the universe so that the angels could know the gospel, so that mankind can know the gospel. It takes a lot of energy. Where are we gonna get it? Where are you gonna get the energy? Here. Through the church. Together. With all the saints. We can strengthen one another. Read that with me, please. We can strengthen one another. You need this. You need these relationships. You need this desperately. It's why the author of Hebrews, not Paul, it's why the author of Hebrews said this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we need this. Who? All of us, together. What? We need to be strengthened. Okay, good question now. How is that done? How do we strengthen one another? What do we do? Well, verse number 17. So that, oh, listen to this, church, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Gosh, there's a sermon right there. That you being rooted and grounded in, try it again. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we find strength? How do we strengthen one another? Here's how we do it. By grounding each other in the love of Jesus Christ. By helping one another get grounded and the unsearchable riches of Christ, which is his incredible love. Strength comes from a deeper understanding of how much Jesus loves you. And the church has historically done a really, really, really bad job at this. We've reminded each other how far we're falling short. Come on. Stop being lazy and live the Christian life. We've reminded each other of the lack of dedication we have to our duty. Come on, pick it up, share Jesus more. We've pressed each other to give and to give and to give. Come on, you can do more, you can do more. We've reminded each other of our lack of discipline, propensity to sin, we've done that. But what we should be pressing one another into is how much Jesus loves you. How high is his love? How deep is his love? How wide is his love? How far his love reaches? A love that is beyond our knowledge. Church, he loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say he loves you. Oh, but wait, I sinned this week. 
Guess what? Tell them. Yeah, but I didn't read my Bible every day. Guess what? Tell them. He loves you. I'm a wretch. Yes, you are. We have lists and videos to prove it all. And he loves you. Well, I know he loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. Okay, he likes you, and he loves you. He loves you. Do you know the song? I love this song so much. It's an oldie, but it's a really good we. Goody, good we? You try speaking in public for a living, okay? It's not easy to do. Really, you don't know this, but I'm like reining myself in on this message. I've been so fired up this week to preach this message. I'm like holding back right now, okay? So just let me go and you'll see what happens. Um, but I love this song. Do you know it? Could we with ink, do you know what? The ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I love that. If we were all scribes and the sky were a parchment, and we all, every stalk on earth a quill, and we began just to write the love of God in the sky, it couldn't contain how much God loves you. He loves you. So, our job is to help each other get grounded in that love. Listen, this is not me just making stuff up. This is me reading God's word and preaching it to you. This is how God's word says we are to do this. And this is why the church becomes so important. You need that shot of energy. You need that reminder all the time. God loves you. You are loved by Christ. You can't imagine how much he loves you. Yes, you're a wretch, but he loves you anyway. You need that so much. One of the biggest uh, obstacles in adopting electric uh, vehicles uh, is the lack of infrastructure, right? So if I were to get into my, I don't have an electric car, but if I had one and I were to try to drive it on one charge to LA, from Fort Wayne to LA, I couldn't do it, not on one charge. I gotta stop along the way and get filled up again. And this is why it's so important to make the church so important because you need each other to remind each other you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. Tell your neighbor one more time, you are loved. There's another reason why the church is valuable. The church is valuable because it proclaims God's gospel. The church is valuable because it strengthens God's people. But also the church is valuable because it displays God's glory. And I want you to see this at the bottom of the text here, uh, verses 20 and 21. I'll give you a moment to write that down, but then take a look at verses 20 and 21. I love this. 
This is Paul. What happens is Paul, like, you know, this is probably why I'm feeling it this way, because Paul was like writing this stuff down, and he just gets so fired up. He just goes off in this little uh, adoration, uh, little passage here. He just praises God out of his heart through his pen, puts it on the page, and look at what he says in this exuberant expression of worship. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, and we tap into that love of Jesus' power. He says this, to him be glory. And watch what he says next. Come on, read it with me. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And just so I'm clear this morning, I'm not just talking about Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne. We're not the only church. There are churches in this city who love Jesus, who love his word, who preach exegetically. I'm talking about all of us together. This is where God's glory is on display. And we do it here at Redemption now. We believe that's done through the expression of our distinctives, which are applicational preaching and passionate worship and intentional discipleship. It's really small back there, and I haven't memorized. I trust you. Trust me. Intentional discipleship and fervent prayer and strategic outreach. These are the ways in which we believe God would have us to put his glory on display. The exegetical word-for-word preaching of the word of God, but done in a way that you can take it and put it into your life. Applicational preaching, passionate worship, where as Adam talked about, that inner person, that pneuma inside you, just resonating with the truths of who God is. And as we sing songs like we did this morning, man, it puts God glory on display through intentional discipleship, that you are growing in your walk, that we're making disciples. And we have systems in place that help you move along as a disciple of Christ, that we're praying together, we're gathering, we're crying out to God, expecting him to move, depending upon him in prayer. And as we spread the gospel throughout the city and throughout the world, these are the ways in which we display the glory of God. It's how we do it. But what I love about this text is the promise that's given in verse number 20. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Really? Because, man, I'm telling you, I dream about what God can do in our midst all the time. It's part of my responsibility as a senior pastor. I, I wanna cast the vision for what God might do. And as I dream and think, Think and imagine about the church, man. I see us all with such a passion for the lost and such a love for the gospel that we are effectively and intentionally loving our neighbors and thousands are coming to know Jesus. That's what I can see. And church, God can do more. I see God opening doors to the mission field right now, crazy doors to the mission field. Why are we going to Uganda and Kenya and Egypt and Croatia? Because God's opening doors. And I can see pastors strengthened and local churches being strengthened and those through our ministry, those churches being strengthened in God's word and more disciples being made all over the world. I can see that. In church, God can do more. 
Right now, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into trying to gather a local network of churches here in our city, churches that love what we love, who believe like we believe, and dropping this stupid competition mentality and becoming united together in one mission to do it together. I can see that. And church, come on, say it with me. God can do more. God can do more. And when he does, when he does, who gets the glory? Him and him alone. And I believe he can do it. I believe he will do it. Now to that end, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. A little different, but I love it. I want you to pray. I want you to gather around people beside you, the us, the together, the we, all the saints. I want you to get with the people around you and I just want you to take a minute or two and to pray this prayer. God help us to value the church as you do. Ask the Lord to do that and I'll come and close us in prayer. Let's go. Lord, I love your word. I am so thankful that your word is so very clear to how we're to do this, to what we're to emphasize, to everything is just, your word is very clear about it. And we're to be a place where your love is pressed into your people. And Father, your, your word is not remiss in telling us how much you love us. Even the Old Testament time again talks about your chesed, your steadfast love. As we read the Psalms, how many times do you press us to your steadfast love? And Father, I can easily as a preacher fall into the trap of setting a law before my people and telling them do this out of duty, do this out of whatever. If you're a good Christian, you'll do this. And all of a sudden, Father, I'm binding them to law and not grace. But Father, I would pray that though we preach what we should and shouldn't do, the motivation always be because you love us and because we love you. And then, Father, as you fill us with your love, would you unite us with other churches in our city who have that same passion, that same heart, that same desire, same doctrine, same, same philosophies in terms of the importance of your word. And God, we pray that together we would see nothing short of revival in our city. For your name we pray it, amen. Small dreams this morning, Redemption. Uh, you are loved. Thank you for coming.